I'm the underdog with the heroic card. I'm Eric Jones Jr. I have to keep pushing for my kids. If I give up, what's that leave them with? Nothing. I have to understand that it's bigger than me. That it's not about me when I wake up and go to work. It's not about me when I'm reading and educate myself. It's not about me when I'm practicing my speeches. It's not about me. It's about my family. Hey, 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 you're now tuned in to Underdog Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Jones Jr., the underdog with the heroic heart, and I have conversations with successful underdogs. And today I have Ms. Delise Co- Dr. Delise Coffey, and how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on. And she is from Durham, North Carolina, so I've talked to people all over. I think you might be the first person um, from North Carolina that I've had on this podcast. Um, how's the weather there? The weather is inconsistent. We have had warm days <laughs> and then the very next day it could be cold. So it is so inconsistent right now. Uh, that sounds like Indiana weather. We <laughs> definitely, well, well, here in Indianapolis, it's definitely been warm the last about two weeks. So yesterday I went home to my hometown and that's in Michigan City, Indiana. So it's two two hours away and it was cold. So, you know, we had to have a hoodie and it was raining. So then we get back home, it's hot. It's like, yeah, oh, wow. okay, I'm gonna stay here. Yeah. Um, so before we get into our conversation, um, today's sponsor is Christian DeWine Clothing. Uh positive energy through your clothes is my clothing line. You can get hoodies, t shirts, uh, sweatshirts. For everybody, kids, um, aunties, uncles, grandmas, whoever, it's usually shirts that have a saying that you might not say out loud, but it's on a shirt or something positive. Um, if you use the promo code Underdog Talk, and Underdog is spelled U N D E R D A W G Talk, you will get 15% off ChristianDewan.com. That's the clothing line. Check us out. So, Today's conversation is me asking questions because we have um, Miss Dr. Um, Delise and kind of give them a background of who you are, like, what do you do before we get into our conversation? Okay, thank you. Yes, I'm a psychologist, and my area of passion is clinical and sports psychology. I started off in the clinical world working with various disorder, depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, uh, anorexia, bulimia, the whole gamut. And then I realized that some of the uh, areas are a little more serious than others, and it required a team approach. And I found out that anorexia and bulimia, that required a close relationship with the doctor, which when I started back then, it was difficult to conversate with the doctors. So I decided not to work with those two areas of clinical. So pretty much I work with everything. I've been in the field for over 30 years, so I've been in the field long enough to see a lot and do a lot. But those are the two areas that I chose not to work with. So everything else I've had, I have experience with. And then the clinical side, as my practice evolved and I just wanted to do something different, I decided to add sports psychology to my practice. So in sports psychology, I work specifically with athletes. And the primary focus is to help them increase their mental game so they can perform better when they get their mind and body in sync. But also in working with the athletes, they have clinical issues as well. 
So being licensed as a clinical psychologist and then having the certifications as a sports psychologist, the two went together very well. So it allowed me to provide a holistic approach with my athletes and then also continue to help me to work clinically with my everyday uh, clients. Mm. Impressive. That's an impressive resume. Uh, I love it. You say you've been doing it over 30 years. So I definitely was um, a child when you first started. Um, but uh, not trying to like throw, throw how long you've been out there or anything. But I was just thinking like I just turned, you know, I was six when you first started. So I know you've seen all different kinds of things just from going from um, eight. Well, what was it? When I was six, I was 90s. So that from the 80s. 90s, yeah, 80s. Uh, 80 so, yeah, oh, yeah, 80, yeah, 86. So from the 80s till now, I know, you, I know you've probably seen all different kinds of and probably seen everything, probably, you know, that uh, your field or your profession has to deal with. I'm sure you've seen everything. So it's May Mental, uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. So we're going to kind of talk about depression and anxiety um so there's kind of a question kind of conversation more than uh, her talking and and that, that way I have a question that I think people would um have so question would be um, um how does one kind of identify that they're depressed because I think sometimes, you know, we go through life and we might look at life as like, oh, this is just part of whatever. But sometimes it's really depression. So how, how would you say when defining depression? Yes, and that's a very good question because you have depression, which is our everyday depression. We all get depressed every now and then. And then you have clinical depression. It's the clinical depression that is the most serious, and that's the one that you want to seek professional help with. So the way that you can tell the difference, if you have a routine, which most of us do, if we don't, you get a daily routine. That helps you to not be depressed. So you have a daily routine. You have what you do day in and day out. And then every now and then life might throw you a curveball. So you deal with that curveball that day and then the next day or that evening that you're okay. You just kind of get frustrated. Oh, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe so-and-so did that. I can't believe so-and-so did that. And you have a conversation with that person. And after the conversation, everything is over with and, and you're able to move on in a productive manner. Or it could be a situation if it's a kid or a teenager, you know, teenagers go through a lot of different things they may break up with a girlfriend or boyfriend and then that may make them sad or, and make them feel down. And then for a day or two, they don't want to do anything. That's fine. That's just kind of everyday situational type of things that make her sad. Now, when it crosses over into the depression or the clinical depression area, if that young child break up with her boyfriend or girlfriend and then they're sad for a day, the parents may say, OK, you know, teenage stuff, they'll get over it. And then they don't get over it. So now uh, three days has passed, six days has passed and we're two weeks in. And this person now she doesn't want to go to school. Uh, he or she doesn't want to participate in sports, or anything. So their everyday routine that they usually do that they enjoy doing, they no longer enjoy doing it. Now they don't even want to go to school. They don't want to get out of the bed. They're not opening up the blinds in the rooms. They're not taking a shower. Now something is wrong. We have crossed over into the clinical part of things. 
So, and even with adults, if you're working and all of a sudden this person is just consistently getting on your nerve to the point that every time you see this person, you get anxious and you just kind of get nervous and you're just always scared every time you see this person, that's kind of moving into the area of depression or uh, the anxiety that you don't want to be. And then the, the key is if you don't deal with it, it gets worse. So although these are significant things, if you deal with it quickly, it's not going or it's not turning to the clinical, de the clinical depression. So the key is if it impairs your day-to-day -day functioning to the point that you cannot function, or you no longer function, that's how you know you have a clinical problem or you're depressed to the point that you should seek help. Mm. Definitely. Uh, that definitely. Like when you say like, well, I, I guess it's, though, it's for those that do have a daily routine, but even if you don't have a necessary routine have, where you go to work, you know, get off, do certain stuff, and it messes that up where you don't even want to do those things, that that makes a lot of sense because I went through um, depression and anxiety uh, the later part of my marriage, and that definitely happened um, to make sense to me because, you know, it was like I didn't want to do what I normally do. It's like I just want to sit around and just be to myself or whatever the case may be. So if – because, you know, in our community, I mean, therapy is, is getting better. People are understanding it. But say um, someone's going through the clinical depression part, right, and they don't want to seek help. What are some things maybe they can do, like at home, or do if they don't want to go to a, a therapist, a counselor, or something of that sort? Okay, if they don't want to seek help for whatever reasons, the main thing that they want to do is every day get out of bed, take a shower, open the windows, and go outside and get some fresh air. That's like the foundation of just trying to get yourself uh, going into a positive way, trying to get the, the brain functioning and then the, the happy hormones in the brain uh, functioning as well. So you want to do those things. And the reason you want to do those things, those are the first things that you don't want to do. And the longer you don't do it, the worse you get. So you want to force yourself out of bed, force yourself to take a shower and put on clean clothes. Now, that's very simple. You would think that's not a big deal. But when you're depressed, you don't want to do anything. Brush your teeth, uh, comb your hair, you know, all these things. You want to make sure you take care of your basic needs and you're doing your basic needs, even if you're not going to go anywhere that day. You still want to do that. So that's the that's the the basic or the first things that you want to do. And then you want to add on. You want to do some type of exercise. Uh, you want to get the here again, you want to get the blood flowing. You want to get your brain cells working. You want to get the serotonin going in your head and you want to get all of those things moving. And exercise does that. And when I say exercise, it's not necessarily going to the gym, lifting weights. Go for a walk, you know, or just you know, walk up and down to the mailbox if you have a distance between your mailbox or walk around the house or the apartment, go to the trail or get on a treadmill. So just anything to keep the body moving so you can kind of get your brain cells working. Because if you don't get your brain cells moving in a positive way, it's going to continue in a downward spiral. And then the other thing that's really good to do is uh, affirmations. 
and positive self-talk. And if you're a Christian and you pray or uh, you want to make sure you get your prayer time in there. So anything that can help you be more positive and anything that can kind of change the trajectory of where you're going if you do nothing, those are the things that you want to do. And then to kind of keep adding on to it, if you feel comfortable talking to your parents or or talking to your spouse, talk to a friend. But here again, you know, sometimes when you're in that dark space, you don't want to talk to anyone. So all the things that I just said are really good. But if you can talk to someone, that's even better. And sometimes it don't have to be a professional. It could just be a trusted friend who will steer you in the right direction. De- those those things are definitely true. Uh, the working out part. A lot of times people don't um, realize how important working out, or just getting the body moving, helps with your mental health. Um, it gives you, you know, it's like, who I just ran that mile, who I just did that. Now you know your body moving, you want to go do something else. So working out definitely um, helps. Just doing something small. You don't even have to you know, do nothing major. Um, And then the affirmations, I like that because that's something that, um, like I do, I have a couple different affirmations, a couple different prayers, but um, I call my son and I do the affirmations with him Um, Mm -hmm. every morning. If, you know, if I, sometimes I wake up later, sometimes I forget to call because I'm busy in the morning, but usually I call him and we do those and it it helps. Because at first he was like, oh man, and now he's like, he's excited. He dang near know the majority of it. It's about a good 12 uh, to 15 of them. So he's, mm-hmm. he's starting to know them. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's being helpful. Just as a, a child with mental health, he's like, okay, I'm these things. I'm, you know, he understands that. And that helps with it being an adult. Because sometimes we, I think we talk to ourselves in a negative form. We don't really realize it. I think it's because of the people we're around. Like, you know, um, so for me, like I work a job um, or work jobs and you go in and people's negative and that kind of like triggers your energy to be like them. And then you got to be like, hold on. No, that's not me. And so like just talking to yourself, um, that's, I've always talked to myself um, I to yourself. That means you're a genius. So I'm going to keep that because I feel, you know, that helps me out because I definitely, don't look like the smartest. I don't, you know, necessarily always say the smartest thing, but I'm definitely intelligent. So talking to yourself, I don't know if you know for her, but true. We're gonna roll with it, even if it's not true. But um <laughs> go ahead. No, but positive self-talk and affirmations, those things work. So however you want to categorize, that's okay, just do it. <laughs> Thank you. I, pre- I appreciate I appreciate that positivity that you, you know, you didn't shoot down my dreams of, you know, what I said. So um, with anxiety, because uh, I used to have like anxiety attacks and it was like weird to me because I didn't know what was going on. <clears throat> so how does what triggers like people to have anxiety and then get to the point of having anxiety attacks? I heard you say like earlier um like you might see somebody you don't like and that could trigger I never even thought of that like that person like hurts you so much or you just you know whatever the case may be they could trigger that but how does something you know how does anxiety get triggered yeah it get triggered in a, in a lot of different ways and that's one way of course is when you just have this intense 
uncomfortability about a person. And whenever you're in their presence, it just causes your heart to start beating fast and just break out in sweats. That's one as well. And then also in PTSD, if you have that, that can cause you to have a panic attack. If you're like in the service or if you have experienced severe abuse. Whenever you come into contact with something similar to what you have experienced, that could lead to a panic attack. And then the other thing, it could be fear. If you're a public speaker or trying to be a public speaker and you're in your first stages of it, you could get stage fright. So you could get so uh, tense and so frightened of being in front of people, you could have a panic attack there. So just about anything can bring on a panic attack. It just all depends on the person. A student can have a panic attack when it's time for the final, final exam because they're having all these things about, okay, if I don't pass this exam, I might not pass my grade. If I don't pass my grade, my parents going to be mad at me. My parents get mad at me. I might not be able to call it, go to college. I might not. See, you see how it keeps going down and down and down and down. And all mm -hmm. those thoughts may not be true. They're true to the person that, that's thinking it. They feel it's true. And since they feel it's true, it's bringing on all of these feelings, uh, these physiological feelings, and that brings on the panic attack. So mm. it, it's just about anything, just depending upon the person, where the person are, and how mentally healthy they are in dealing with whatever situation they may be faced with. Okay, okay. That, make, that makes sense. I, I don't remember. I think life would... I think I kind of remember like life was like really going bad. My uh, marriage and then um, just, yeah, I think that was the whole thing. Cause I remember like, I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, why, why, <laughs> why am I feeling this way? And it just was weird to me. And um, for me, I, I got counseling. So um, what are, is counseling like the, not the only thing, but is counseling like the the main thing you should do when you have anxiety or is there, I mean, I know people get, you know, the medicine and go to the regular doctor and stuff like that, but what are some ways that someone can deal with anxiety? Dealing with anxiety and dealing with depression, it's pretty much the same things. Uh, and then in addition to the anxiety, you want to identify what's causing you to have these feelings, what's causing you to change physiologically. And then you want to put an action plan in place to deal specifically with that thing. Because with panic attacks, it's usually, you usually can pinpoint it, what's causing you to have those feelings. So you want to spend quality time in trying to figure out what's triggering you. And then after you figure that out, you want to put a plan in place so you can kind of figure out how to deal with it so it doesn't cause a full-blown panic attack. And then that's where the therapists come in. When you deal with something like that, it's, it's, it's easier to work through that with a therapist because it's almost like you're trying to treat and diagnose yourself, which is challenging. It's very challenging to do. So if you have a person that's not involved with it and a person that can look at it objectively and give you feedback, then that's what makes the process go along a little quicker. And then sometimes, like I said earlier, it may not have to be a professional. It could be a friend or someone that you know that has good knowledge about this, and then they can talk to you in a manner that's going to move you forward. Because we all have kind of two kind of friends. We have a friend that's going to tell you all 
what you want to hear. If you're sad, they're going to keep feeding you sad information. Yeah, that that's right. They shouldn't have did that. You should have did it. And it's going to keep being negative. And then you have the friend say, yo, man, this happened. Now, how can we move forward? What can you do differently to help this move forward? So if you have a friend that's going to help you move forward and get out of the valley, it's okay to talk to that person too. It's just a little more challenging where everybody will have those type of friends they can really move move you along, but they exist and a lot of people have it. But it is difficult to do it on your own. So I have a question. Um, so I think I'm that friend that's going to tell you what you don't want to hear. But why do, why do you think um, people would say that person could be an a-hole? Because they say, maybe what you don't want to hear, but what you should hear. Why do you think um, that person, it could be, and they might not be like friends. It could just be people in general. That part, particular person just says, sometimes, you know, it could be, but majority of them just them saying something that you didn't think would say out loud. Why do you think people consider a-holes with that? I'm not sure I, I quite follow your question. So let me just see if I'm, I'm following you. So if a person is in a dark space and they need someone to talk to and they're talking to a person that's going to help them, but the person in mm. the dark space didn't want to hear what they had to say. And then they're, yeah. they're being negative towards the person that's trying to help them. Is that what you're asking me? Yes, correct, correct. Yeah, that's because the person is in pain. They can't see and they can't see and feel beyond the pain that they're in. So when they're in this dark space in the valley, it's hard to get out. So when someone's trying to pull them out with all this positivity and they have all this negativity, it's hard to hear it. And it's also hard to receive it. That's why it's important for the person that's trying to help them is to be gentle and help them in the way that's going to best benefit them. And here again, just going back to that's how therapists and psychologists are trained. In a trusted friend they just may know this just because you know they've lived life and they have experienced it or been through it they might know this but it's it's, it's hard when you're in that space to receive information that's going to help you but the key is the friend should not stop just keep communicating with them in a loving and therapeutic way mm. so it could be where so i get what you're saying like as the friend even though you might be saying it particularly right. You got to say it right in the way that they can hear it. So it's kind of like, um, for me, I play uh, coach basketball. Like some of the players, some of them I could get loud with getting their face. Some players I couldn't. So it's like when you're telling your friend, you might be saying everything you need to hear, but they can't hear it because of the pain that they're in. So, yeah, and and sometimes you don't realize that um, that that is in that kind of pain or that we need to adjust the way that we talk to them. And I know me personally, I definitely are working on that of how to talk to everybody differently because everybody can't take, you know, how you talk on a regular. So you find a, um, a meeting point to be able to, you know, get the message across to them. So I'm thinking uh, people kind of going through depression and they kind of, they don't really do you think um like so how do you no, not, not, so how do you think um environment like so say a person is they kind of got the everyday depression right but life around them or the people around them or that negative does that 
add on to it or that has kind of nothing to do with a person's personal depression? That has a lot to do with it. Yeah, because if they're hanging around people who are negative, then they're going to continue to be negative and the negativity is going to continue to cause depression. So, yes, that has a lot to do with it. That's probably the worst thing you want to do when you're feeling down is to be around a whole bunch of other people who are feeling down. Mm. So you want to be around people who are uplifting, people who are excited, because that's going to indirectly help you come out of the valley that you're in. Mm. So actually uh, be around people that will celebrate you and not just tolerate you. Because sometimes you we tolerate other people mess and then that kind of triggers because it's so it's like I'm and I'm just giving this for the listeners it's like if you're if say work work messing with you you know it's never going on at work and then you go around somebody and they talk about their job now you talking about your job now you your feelings about your job is getting worse you got you instead of somebody saying hey so at your job how can how can you better you know or something of that sort so it's it's basically stop putting in other people's mess when you already got mess because it's a bigger mess and then you're gonna then you're gonna have to deal with it alone because we really got something on a lot of people that's your friend disappear because they don't know how to handle or they don't know how to you know converse with you so um trying to think of what how I wanted to word this question um how do you think so do you think the the best key for someone is to go to immediate therapy or is it like okay try these things at home or you think like just looking on the outside looking in like as just a person do you think therapy is the the number one thing someone should go rather than or trying to do it on their own yeah, I'm more of a preventative type person or preventative type therapist. So if you think something going on, it won't hurt to go. And if you go and nothing serious is going on, that's one session, one and done. So nothing is serious. You're OK. But if you if something is going on and you go to a therapist right away, you're going to catch it early. Then you can start working on it earlier and it will not get bad. So the key to uh, mental wellness it's the lifestyle, or I would like for people to start adopting it as a lifestyle. That's why I said earlier, if you don't have a routine, you want to get a routine. And part of that routine is going to include some type of cardio in the morning. And here again, I'm not talking about hard cardio and, you know, all these burpees and jumping around. No, <laughs> you could just ride your bike for 30 minutes. Um, that's exactly what I do. I ride my bike every morning for 30 minutes for mental health reasons, just so I can stay sharp. So I can stay mentally healthy because I'm invested in myself because I have to help other people. And if I'm not mentally healthy and strong, I can't help my clients. So I'm invested in doing something. And I know that just 20, 30 minutes in first thing in the morning will kind of keep everything flowing. So once you get to a point that, you know, you're OK, you're not having any major problems, you want to be more preventative. You know, eating right helps, so you want to eat right. You know, exercise helps, so you want to exercise. You know, uh, doing affirmation and positive self-talk and praying, you know, all those things will help. So do it when you don't have problems, and then you will not have problems. However, if the problem is there, 
get it under control as quickly as possible. And that usually involves a therapist. And then once you get it under control, then you start with this mental wellness program, this mental wellness lifestyle. Mm. So my next question, because I was thinking, because you said, you know, sometimes stuff happens in that moment or maybe in that season. But I think like for me, I was thinking um, a lot of my mental health was from childhood. So didn't really realize that of growing up and going through life, a lot of the stuff I dealt with was from childhood. So how early would you recommend someone um, putting their child into mental health? Because I think sometimes people my around like around my age, I know in the 30s, mid 30s, early 30s or late 30s. So just 30s in general, like we don't realize how important mental health was until we got to that age. So it's like a lot of our trauma is from childhood. So how early would you say or what would you say a parent should do for their child to help them with mental health, at, you know, as a child? As soon as you recognize there is an issue and you feel like you cannot effectively help your child, you want to get them into treatment at that point in time. When I first started in my career, I didn't really have an age limit. So I had a lot of kids under six years old. So what I found out in dealing with the kids under six years old, that's a different kind of therapy. That therapy, I mean, that's a different kind of training. That's just totally different. So I decided to start working with kids six and up because in that area, everything is a little similar. And I had a lot of six years old. So six years old is young. So anything below six, I know those kids were having issues as well. But here again, that's a specialized treatment. So as soon as you recognize that there is an issue, you want to get to child help. And then now I have a lot of teenagers. I have a lot of junior high and high school kids. And that's still pretty young because now we're talking 13, 17. That's young. Definitely. And I definitely um, just from going into schools and speaking and just knowing kids in general and coaching, like you can see a lot of like they go through stuff, you know, kids go through stuff. And I think for me, when I was a kid, like we went through stuff, but our parents didn't really, it wasn't like, hey, how are you doing today? Not what you mm-hmm. learn at school. It's like, like my son, how, how are you doing? You good? Everything good? Because I'll ask him, how was school? Good, good, good. I'm like, bro, you ain't never had a bad day? Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. So what's some stuff that, you know, been going on at school or whatever and just, uh you know, talking to them, doing the affirmations with them. So what are some, um, like, suggestions for parents to help their child at home with the mental health, um, just in general, you know, because you want them to start early with a pattern, with a routine of doing certain things. So when they get to a certain age, they're not thinking that they're crazy and it's something that they could have prevented, you know, throughout their childhood. Right. Having regular conversations with open ended questions, because with most teenagers, if you give them a yes or no answer, I mean, a yes or no question, they're going to answer you yes or no, because one, they probably don't want to do a whole lot of talking anyway, because they want to go get on their cell phone. So ask open ended questions. And then probably if you're a family that eat together every night, then maybe that would be the time to have this open conversation. And if not, just have a designated time that you talk to your child every day. And it doesn't have to be very long. It can just be 
you know, just a little bit of time, but it's quality time and it's a quality check-in time. And then it could just be one or two questions, you know, hey, son, hey, daughter, tell me about your day. So now you're engaged. And then when they start telling you about their day, it's going to generate other questions from you because he's going to say something that's interesting. And then if it's not, you, you're looking for things to keep the conversation going. So he's going to say, you know, my day was good. Well, tell me what was good about it. Well, it was, you know, pretty much the same old things. And, and, but it was okay. Well, I don't know what okay is. You know, your okay is different from my okay. So tell me about your okay. So the next time you say okay, I know what you're talking about. So just get, engage in them, engage in them. And then it could be a situation where, well, there ain't nothing to talk about. And then, you know, how can it not be anything to talk about? This is a beautiful day. <laughs> you know, a lot of things went on today. Let me tell you about my day. Then you go on and tell about your day. And then you say, now, I just know if my day was that exciting, you had to have something to go on in yours that you want to share with me. So being really creative and getting them talking. And then this is also another way to be in tune quickly if something was to change. So if you're having these regular conversations with your child, then you're going to know the pattern of the conversation. So once the pattern of the conversation starts changing, then you know something is up. So now you want to inquire about this something that's up that you have no idea about. And it could be simple. It could be here again. Like I said, he broke up with a girlfriend, boyfriend. And the reason I keep using that as an example, that's a big deal for kids. You know, they break <laughs> up with somebody. That's a big deal. But as parents, uh, you know, it's not a big deal to us because, you know, we kind of been there, done that. We're older and we can coach them through that. So you want to know, but, but you have an idea of some type of consistency, some type of routine that you can catch your early sign if something was going on. I love it. And definitely kids <laughs> with boyfriend and girlfriend. So my son, <laughs> he's only in the second grade, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't date it like all the little girls in his class. Like, they be sad. One girl, this one girl, I don't know who she is. She fast, though. I don't know what her name is. But she asked him for a kiss, and he told her no. And she, like, you know, broke down and had the ugly cry. I'm like, are you serious? Like, y'all ain't supposed to be kissing in second grade anyway. So kids start early at the boyfriend and girlfriend or I like you stage. And it's it's so hilarious to me. It's like, man, you don't even know this person. Like, mm -hmm. do you even know they? Do you even know they like hey, in second grade? Do you even know their last name? Like, come on, man! Like, what are you talking about? But I do have a teenager too, so I definitely understand that part too. Um, yeah. So even with the even with your two year old, you want to have a conversation with him in a two year old language. No, not That's he not two. He in second grade. He eight. I mean, yeah, second grade. I'm sorry. Yeah. So you yeah. want to talk to him on that level? It's not too early to start. It's not too early to start. I just recently had a girl that was depressed and talking about, you know, suicidal things because she was on punishment and she couldn't go to the prom. Ooh. OK, you know, here again, adult type things, you know, that's not that serious. All you have to do is to do what you need to do so you can get off punishment. Then you can go to the prom. That simple. But it wasn't that simple to her. Mm -hmm. so, yeah so now you know she's just you know listening to all these mu this music you know about depression and 
What if I'm not here? Just all these depressing type things. So my conversation to her is change the music. Let's take that off your, your playlist for a while. Let's listen to some other music for a while. And then talk to your father and see what you need to do so you can come off punishment. Because you can't do what you need to do if you don't know what you need to do. <laughs> so having that type of, yeah. And see, like I say, it's real simple to us as adults, but it's not simple to the kids. And it is a major issue. Definitely. And I like what you said about the, like the creative, like talking. So with me, um, with my son, like we'll go play basketball and then, you know, I start asking questions, talking, you know, what's going on, how, how, you know, how's life going, this and that. And then like me and his sister, our conversations, like our best conversations have always been in the car. Like mm -hmm. if we going to the store, if we going somewhere, whatever. And now she's old enough, she's driving. So, you know, I can sit and I can talk. So our best conversations have always like been in the car. And that's where we have those uh, men to woman per se kind of conversations. Cause I've never like, I know how to talk to my kids at the age that they're at. So I've never had like, a baby conversation with my son. I've never, you know, I, I've never sugarcoated anything with my kids, but I keep it at that age. Like some stuff, my, people will be like, oh, I don't know, they too young. And then something happens in real life, like a situation that could happen to us. And it's like, oh, okay, I get what you're saying. So I definitely have conversations uh, with the kids and try to make sure I'm, I'm keeping up with them. Like, how you doing? How's school? How's, you know, I know you're doing a lot. Um, you know, how's work, you know, stuff of that sort, and especially with my son, because um, I don't live with him. So it's like, got to ask them questions uh, just to see what's going on, because I've been him to where it was just me, my mom and my sister, and it's just him and his mom and sister. So I know what it's like to not have a guy around to to play with, to ask questions, to, you know, just manly questions or whatever the case may be. So that's that was um, good answers for people and you said started at six I think we did that with my son like when we got divorced I think he was five and mm -hmm. we didn't really notice until you know uh, when he was about six he he would uh first he would be like oh I want to go with my dad I want to go with my dad when he would get in trouble so then he'd come over to my house and then he'd be like oh I want my mom I'm like hold on your mama said you do that at home. So you just do that to try to make it. So we had to, we corrected that because it made, you know, her and me kind of feel like a certain way. Like, dang, what are we doing that wrong that you want this other parent? But it wasn't nothing. It was just, he, he didn't really know how to express himself. And then, you know, start sitting down, talking to him, got him a counselor to see what was really going on with him. Um, you know, he was just sad. You know, his parents broke up, his dad not home. So, you know, that kind of helped us with uh, co-parenting to be better co-parents. It's like, okay, you might get on my nerves. I might get on your nerves, but it don't got nothing to do with me and you it got something to do with him. So uh, that's how we kind of like dealt with it, you know, personally in my life. So, so just, just a, a little interview. I wasn't saying start at six years old, start no, as okay. soon as you see the problem. What I was saying, I now specialize starting at six. Oh, so okay. if, if I was to get a referral of a four-year-old, I would refer them out because now I prefer to work with six years and up. But you okay. want to start getting them help as soon as you see the problem, no matter what age it is. And then at, before I started specializing with six years and up, I was getting those younger kids. And as I shared with earlier, that's a specialized area 
when you get to that kid. And I just chose not to continue to hone those skills and just keep honing the skills with the six and the up. I understand. Cause I understand. Because definitely, because um, kids go through trauma. And I think sometimes uh, no one sits them down and actually talk to them and ask them, hey, are you okay? You know, I don't think we have kids enough sometimes because when we're going through our stuff and maybe, you know, life ain't, we can't provide like we need to or whatever, we never say, hey, are you okay? Because you got to think, your kid goes to school, but they might not have the latest clothes. They might, you know, look, whatever. Uh, and kids talk about them and it's like, you got to make sure you ask those questions. How are you doing? Like, not how was your day, but how are you doing? Like, you good, you know? What what's some things that um, you like to do? Because like when you have a son and a daughter, it's definitely different. Like mm-hmm. when my, my daughter was my son age, tea parties and going to father daughter dances and doing girly stuff. But she was still a town boys. Girls like to do what they dad like to do. And then when my son is is rough. It's tough. It's we could go here. We could go there. He like, can we go here? Hold on, man. You know this stuff costs money. Like we didn't went to a lot of places today. Can we wait till tomorrow? But he just has that energy. So it's like, make sure you're doing stuff with your kids that they like to do, not doing stuff that you like to do and you bring them along. You want to um, get into their world, and that kind of helps and makes it a little easier with um, talking to them because you're doing stuff that they like to do. Even though you might not like to do it, it might be something new, but do something that your kid likes to do. I know that works for me and, you know, some of the other parents that I know. So um, let's see. So as a parent, so someone's a parent and they're going through um, depression and what can they do um, to not, um, to not like show it to their kids in a, in, in a certain sense, you know, if you know what I'm saying, like you, you kind of going to show it if you're really going through it, but how do you kind of, um, get out of that funk when you're a pa- from a parent's perspective? That's when they have to dig deep and dig deep and do those things that I had shared with earlier. Get out of the bed, take a shower, put your clothes on for women, put your makeup on, comb your hair for guys, make sure you're shaved and make sure you're you're well-groomed and then open the blinds and make sure that the kids have breakfast uh, or, or, and then if you're the type of person that do lunch and dinner, make sure those things that you do for the child, they stay consistent. If you walk the kid to the bus stop, make sure you continue to walk the kid to the bus stop and it's probably draining you very, very much just to walk the kid to the bus stop and it's only five steps away. But knowing that you're the adult and something is going on and you're trying to shield your children, you want to dig deep and force yourself to keep that child's routine the same. You don't want the child's routine to alter because whether you tell them or not, they're going to know. So you want to keep everything as normalized as you possibly can. And the thing that you can control is the physical part of the routine. Because although you're doing all of these things that I'm telling you, the kid is going to pick up on your energy that something is not quite right. But if you're keeping their routine the same, you're keeping them on a healthy path so they don't go down with you. And then, of course, seek help as soon as you possibly can. Mm, I like that. So um, as a parent, 
when like say if you do go through like you know your depression or any kind of mental health issues right um do you do you explain it to your child or do you you wait to a certain point to kind of tell them or do you kind of like sit them down and say hey my you know this last past month my I was dealing with this and this is what this is do you kind of explain it to your kids or do you kind of shield them from it or what would you like go ahead and that's a thin line. And with that, it would really depend on the family dynamics as a whole before an issue occur. Now, in general, I don't think children should be involved in adult conversations or adult situations. That's just kind of how I feel. And then because from a professional standpoint, if you're involving them, they're taking on that problem too. So now they're going to try to fix it or this happened more than not, they're going to feel like it's their fault. They're going to feel like they did something to make mommy sad. They did something to make mommy dad, I mean, make daddy sad. So they're going to think they did something wrong. So now you're just creating another problem. However, if it's a situation like, let's say one of the parents is really severe, it's really um, uh, uh, significant, and they just can't get out of the bed. They've been in the bed for two days. It's hard to ignore that. Then you want to tell them in the language on the level that they can understand. You don't, you don't want to go say, mom is clinically depressed and I got to get her to the doctor because if I don't get her to the doctor, she might kill herself. That, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, mommy's not feeling good today, but mommy's going to be okay. So what we want to do, we want to make sure we do all our chores and we clean up really good. And then I'm going to give mom some juice and mom's going to be really okay, but she's just a little tired today. So that's a little kid's conversation. But if you're talking to a teenager, you still don't want to get into everything. You just want to tell them enough so they would be okay. It's not about all the details, but just tell them enough so they can be okay. Because here again, they're going to know something is wrong. So if you say nothing is wrong, everything is okay, you're still creating a problem because they know you're not telling the truth. Definitely uh, helpful um, as a parent because I'm um, transparent, you know, open with the kids. So that definitely helps because, you know, like you said, you don't want them to feel like, oh, it's my fault or I did it or anything of that sort. That's kind of like when you get a divorce, Sometimes kids feel that way and they don't they might not even express that that they feel that way. But sometimes, you know, every now and then they'd be like, man, I wonder if they did that because of me um, or something I did or anything of that sort. So that's definitely important. So it doesn't matter what kind of conversation it is. Like you said, if it's an adult conversation, you got to break it down in layman's terms for whatever age group your child's in. But you don't have to tell them everything, especially when it comes to a breakup or. Know, a, a change in the family or something like that but like if a parent sick or something that's definitely you still gotta explain it in layman's term but you de definitely can explain it to them so I definitely understand what you were saying with that so um with I got I think I got like maybe two more questions um because I play basketball and I know some teenagers uh what are some things that athletes can do to help um, like their mental health or mental toughness, their mental game. Um, you don't have to, because you know, I know this is what you do, but you don't have to give, you know, what you 
you know, what you would tell someone, but what are some things that they can kind of do um, with playing a sport, you know, going to school, being a kid, all these different things, and they still got to work on their mental health. Yeah. And the foundation of it is the same. An athlete is a person. An athlete is an individual. So the, the treatment process doesn't change as far as the foundation. Now, with an athlete, they have an extra layer. So once they they are student athlete. So as a student, it's all the same. And then when you cross over into the athletic part, there's more things you want to add on. Athletes need to be uh, need to have time management skills because they have so much going on. If that, if they're not organized and really good with time management, that's going to stress them out. If they get stressed, they're not going to perform well. If they don't perform well, they're going to get anxious. If they get anxious, they're going to get depressed. So it's almost like the foundation is the same, but this extra level says you are an athlete. And then their schedule is very demanding anyway. So instead of just doing a little bit of affirmation or a little bit of positive self-talk, they might want to include like deep breathing exercises on a regular basis. Because when you're doing deep breathing on a regular basis, if something is beginning to cause a little bit of anxiety, you can revert back to this deep breathing pattern and keep it under control. So they, they would need just a few more tools in their toolbox to work with because they have this extra layer as an athlete. Understanding that time management is definitely important for um, athletes. If you're listening, if you're, um, uh, professional, if you're, you know, a grown person, if you're a kid, like your schedule with your um, sport is very important, especially, and that's kind of like with anybody, um, the time management part of it, like you, uh, when you don't have time management, you feel like you have all these things to do and you don't have enough time, but you never put how much time you can do for these things. I definitely learned the calendar is definitely important. Definitely putting things in your phone, definitely having a calendar is very important because you can see it, you can hear it, it's popping up in your face like, oh, I got this uh, later at seven o'clock. Oh, I got this at this time. Um, and everything goes on the calendar. Like, I'm not, I'm talking about everything you do, if you reading for 30 minutes, if you cooking, if you got a date, whatever it is, put it in the calendar, that'll help you with your time management, which is very important um, just in general, but definitely for student athletes because you got school, then you got a workout, then you might try to fit your, you know, your personal life in there, which you really shouldn't if you want to be great, but you just got to sacrifice that time. So um, that's definitely important for students. I don't think they really understand that enough. Um, the time management, because as adults, time management is very important. If you don't, <laughs> you don't got that routine, like you said earlier, routine, you've said it several times and that's, that's very important. So before um, I ask you for some tips in the underdog quote, what are uh, a few ways that people can create a routine that doesn't necessarily have a routine? First, think about the things that you like to do. You want your routine to be something that you enjoy doing, something that you look forward to. And here again, the routine don't have to be strenuous. And then when I say a routine, it incorporates everything. So you get up, uh, you get up in the morning, you do your meditation, your positive uh, affirmation. You do 30 minutes of walking or riding the bike. And then you go to the bathroom and take a shower and get ready for the day. 
I mean, that's a routine right there. And by doing that every single day, you're setting yourself up for success first thing in the morning. So it could be that simple. Or it could be a situation where you go to where you do go to the gym for an hour or you go for an, a walk for an hour. And then you can increase, uh, include maybe prayer time. Some people pray for an hour. Some people meditate for an hour. Um, so just finding out what you need to do in yoga. Here again, some people may do that for an hour. So it don't have to be extensive and it don't have to be rigid. It's important that it's something that you enjoy doing that's going to keep you progressing towards your goals and towards your dreams. And then just knowing those first few minutes in the morning, they're so crucial. That's when the mind is really absorbing whatever's going on. So the first thing in the morning, if you put negativity in your mind, then the rest of your day, you'll probably be gravitating towards negative things. So you want to feed your mind with something positive first thing in the morning. Those first 30 minutes are just so crucial. So just be mindful of what you do and checking the phone, checking Instagram and social media first thing in the morning. That's not good. But we're in an age where we're doing that. So just make that later in the day. So I would just say just making sure as far as the routine, keep it really, really simple. Make that first 30 minutes something that's going to be positive, that's going to move you towards your dreams and goals. And then everything after 30 minutes, it's like extra. Yeah, you definitely uh, smacked me in the face with the Instagram and checking my phone. <laughs> I try not to. Um, that's something I definitely out there thinking uh, how I can, like, you know, sometimes people, you know, make posts, but you don't make a post later in, that, in the day anyway, but you be on your phone looking at Instagram and stuff. So that's definitely uh, something that I'm trying to get away from. I try to I'm trying to, uh, I'll I be forgetting when I go to the store to get an actual alarm clock. I want to get an alarm clock so I can put my phone across the room. I do sometimes put it across the room so that makes me get up, but I be forgetting sometimes that that uh, having your phone before you go to bed, that's definitely me. Uh, but I loved everything you said. You can keep it simple. Like a routine isn't, I mean, depending on what kind of lifestyle you want, but it's really just like you said, waking up praying, meditating, whatever you do in the morning, then get ready for work. And then when you get off work, what's your routine? And I, I like you said, yoga, my um, little sister, she does yoga. She's a yoga instructor and I still haven't tried like really. And I, I be hearing my bones crack and I'm like, man, I really need to try that because I don't want to be one of those people that's like in my forties and my son just hooping me because I got bad legs and I could have took care of that. So I'm definitely uh, yoga is definitely going to be part of my routine. I just need to I need to just try it. I think I'm kind of scared. I'm scared to like stretch for some reason. I don't know why. Do you do yoga? I do. And I mean, I'm not that great at it, but I do what I can do because just stretching, it just feels good. Now, I probably I do it in the privacy of my home because that way I'm not concerned about, oh, my goodness, I can't do that. I'm still still here. So. I would do that first, you know, if you're kind of having some reservations, just get a tape and kind of get the feel of it and then graduate towards the class. That's kind of what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do that. I'm going to give me a, uh, next time I go to Five Below, give me a little yoga mat and, mm -hmm. and start doing it there. Because I uh, I definitely could um, have her probably Zoom me, but I definitely still, because she, she might have me doing some stuff. I'm like, hold on, I'm still a beginner. I'm, I'm a beginner, beginner. I don't know nothing about nothing. <laughs> So I definitely gonna um, 
going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it at home. I'm going to try it this week, at least at home. I'm going to let you know how it go. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that's really good with yoga, if you just pick a few exercises to start with, you know, fix, pick maybe five that you can do and then just do those till you get really comfortable and, and then just add another one on, keep adding on. So if, if, it, and a, a yoga instructor probably wouldn't tell you to do this. This is not the real way to do yoga. I am nowhere, and I'm not an expert in this area. I'm just sharing with you what I did. So I just picked a few. I think I started with five. And then once I got comfortable with those five, I added some more. And I think I'm up to maybe 15 different moves. And then the other thing is, you know, do it your way. Just make sure you're doing the move correctly. But you know how how most of the yoga teachers, they just flow so beautifully and everything is just so smooth and just great. If you're not there, you're just not there. But if you focus on doing one move, do it correctly, and then just do another move and do it correctly, that's a good way to start. But here again, I'm not a yoga instructor. (laughs) (laughs) So you probably don't want to listen to me on this one. <laughs> everything, everything before the yoga, listen to, but everything yoga until now, don't listen. <laughs> exactly. But no, that that I mean that that's kind of how I did uh, meditation. Like um, I'm still working on that, but just doing a few minutes, not doing. You know, I know people they do ten, twenty. Oh, okay, I'm let me not even try that. I'm gonna start off with three to five and just mm-hmm. do it that way. So definitely start off yoga with. Um, you know, small steps. If you're, you know, if you, if you one that want to go to the class, like I, I definitely went to a dance class. My buddy invited me and I, I was cool. I'm like, okay, I never went, but I know, I know how to dance a little bit. So it's a little different than what just regular dances, workout dancing, but I was confident. So if you're confident with yoga, don't listen to us. Just go ahead and go to the spot. <laughs> but if you ain't as confident and you look up, just try it at home. YouTube, YouTube has everything. Exactly. <laughs> Join the beginners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. YouTube, you can graduate there. So, um, before we get out of here, I always ask for three tips. Um, what are three tips that someone can do today um, to deal with depression, anxiety? I'm sure we you said it throughout it, but if it's something that you repeated, it's something they needed to hear a couple times. But what are three tips that they can do? today as well whenever the episode launches they can do it okay get a routine do affirmations daily and keep a gratitude journal those would be the three things that i think would be a good start to do and to continue to do even when things are not going bad so mental wellness is a way of life. And that, that's kind of the mindset I want people to start thinking. Mental wellness is a way of life. It's not just for people with problems. It's for people that don't have problems because we want to stay healthy. I love it. And I know I need to get me a gratitude journal. So uh, I started like in my phone, you know, how you had a notepad and I just, it just hasn't worked for me, but I've, I've heard that so many times I've heard, Oprah say that like recently, like listen to just videos. I've heard different people say it and how it helped them. So I'm definitely um, going to invest in a, a gratitude journal because I have journals. I write everything down, but I definitely need that because I've heard that several times. And like you said, it's a way of life. It is, it's kind of like prayer. You don't just pray when you're doing bad. You pray when you're doing bad, you're doing good, everything. You know, you do these things like have a routine. You have a routine because that'll help you 
build consistency and consistency will help you, you know, be better in whatever you're doing. Affirmations is just talking to yourself positive because as a man or a woman, especially a man, woman of color, you go out in the world, they, they saying negative stuff about you. They telling you, you this, you that, and the third. But when you're telling yourself, I'm a king, I'm worthy, I'm this stuff, you don't, you're not listening to what other people are saying. And then just having that journal and being grateful for everything. Don't matter if your friends got a Benz and you got a Honda. Uh, it don't matter if, you know, whatever's going on, be grateful for what you have because you have to be grateful for the little before you can get to the big. And like you said, it's got to be a way of life. I love that. Like, it's got to be a lifestyle. It can't be just something you do um, when stuff going wrong. It got to be something you do every day because you'll build that consistency. And if you build in positive consistency, positive things that will happen. So I need an underdog quote, something to pertain to mental health. It could be something, you know, you have or something you heard. An underdog quote for mental health. I like to tell people it takes a strong person to ask for help. Mm. It takes a strong person to ask for help because we so often feel like if we need help, we're weak. If we need help, that must mean something is wrong with me and I can't do it. No, 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 no. It takes a strong person to ask for help. That is so, so, so true. Because like you said, a lot of times, especially for men, um, we feel like asking for help makes us weak or something. But I had a person on here, um, Jeremy, and he was like, that's how he got being successful, but by asking questions. Mm-hmm. And he just asked the questions that people were scared to ask, and he asked the right people, and they gave him the right information. So asking for help um, helps. Because everybody needs help. Everybody has a coach. Everybody has some type of mentor. Everybody has something that helps them get better. So asking questions definitely helps, and it makes you a strong person. So, again, I thank you um, for your knowledge. Thank you for your profession. Thank you for coming on and giving us some mental health tips and just having a conversation with me. Uh, Before I ask you to give a closing word, uh, that sounds like church, but <laughs> give a statement. Um, how can people get in reach in touch with you? I'm on social media, Instagram and Facebook as Dr. D Coffee. I'm on YouTube as Dr. Delise Coffee. And another thing I would like to offer your audience is if they just want to see if there's anything going on on a more specific and detailed level as far as depression and anxiety, you can do a free assessment on my website. And my website is uh, Dr. D Coffee forward slash mental health. That's Dr. D Coffee forward slash mental health. And the reason I like to offer that to people, and I want to offer it to your listeners as well, if everything is just going great and you just feel like, okay, you know, I have everything under control, the depression checklist, it has about 15 different areas. So if you do the list and you say, and then you score it like in, three different, four different areas, somewhat moderate, not at all. So if you do the list, you know, you're feeling fine, you probably have a more zeros and ones, which is fine. That's normal. But what I like to share with people, if you have a one, zone in there and get that one to a zero. Be preventative. 
be preventative. So that's the beauty of having this assessment or having access to this assessment. And then the flip side, you know, if you have a child and you really think something is going on, you can have them take the test and you can actually score it and you can see if there's an issue. So now if there's an issue, you know right away without trying to figure it out, they need to reach out or you need to reach out on their behalf to a therapist or a psychologist. Thank you for that. Um, definitely important for people to utilize that. And I will make sure I have the links um, when the episode drops for everyone to um, get on there. And, you know, if you want to try the free assessment, just check her out on Instagram or what, period. So before we get out of here, do you have any closing words? Put mental health first. Put mental health first every day. And on that note, peace, one love.